Have you ever asked yourself, man, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's my calling? What's my vocation? Well, Jesus has some thoughts on that, and in this episode of Bible and Life, we're going to listen to those thoughts. Hey friends, I'm so glad you could join me once again for uh, Bible and Life, and I hope that uh, wherever you're listening to, all is well with you. Uh, if you're uh, friends of mine and you're you're south of the equator, I hope you're enjoying or surviving your winter up here where I'm at. It's the middle of summer, and uh, it's been quite hot. In fact, the next four days where I live, we're supposed to be right around 100 or a little more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't know what that translates into Celsius for those of you who use that system. Uh, I just know it's hot, and we've been trying to beat the heat. So we've been up to the lake several times just trying to stay cool and uh, enjoying a little bit of that. So hope you're doing well, and uh, I'm really glad you're with me on this episode of Bible and Life. We started uh, in our last session walking through the text of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you're not familiar with your Bible, that's some of Jesus' most uh, most central teaching for how to do life His way. And you can find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Matthew is one of those books of the Bible that tells the story of Jesus and records his teaching for us. And so it can really help us learn who Jesus is and what Jesus' priorities are and how to live life his way. And the Sermon on the Mount is just some of Jesus' most central, most prime, most core teaching for, for those of us who want to follow him and imitate him and learn how to do life from him. And so we started in our last session walking through the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and we looked at what is traditionally called the Beatitudes, and we said that... Um, that, or at least in my opinion, I don't think the Beatitudes really are virtues for us to pursue. I think it's better to understand the Beatitudes as Jesus throwing the door open wide on his kingdom. As he looks out at the crowd that's gathered around him who he's teaching on this occasion, there's people from all different backgrounds. And Jesus says, regardless of where you've come from, you're welcome in my kingdom and you can be blessed. So if you've experienced great sorrow, you can be comforted. If you long to see righteousness and justice come to this world, guess what? In my kingdom, you'll be satisfied. And so he's welcoming all these different kinds of people as he throws the door wide open on his kingdom. So that was our last session. Well, where we pick up now in the Sermon on the Mount, we're at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And Jesus, looking out at this crowd and gathering these people to himself, he essentially says, and if you come into my kingdom, if you uh, enter into my kingdom, not only will you experience the blessings of my kingdom, but you'll be given a high and holy calling. You'll be given a great and noble vocation. You'll, you'll be given a responsibility and a task that is uh, fitting of your human dignity and is worth you giving your life to. And so that's where we pick up today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and following. Jesus uses two different bits of imagery, two little illustrations to say, here's your vocation. What is your task or your calling in relationship to the world around you? Well, Jesus says your job is to be salt and your job is to be light. And those are the two bits of imagery that he uh, gives to us to describe our vocation. And so take a look at what he says, Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And so there's the first little bit of imagery. You're the salt of the earth. And the unique thing is uh, salt has a very distinctive flavor, and it seems to be that that Jesus is appealing to because he refers to it becoming tasteless again. And so he seems to be referencing our distinctiveness. There's something about uh, followers of Jesus. There's When we come into his kingdom, we are salt of the earth. We are meant to have a distinctive uh, nature in this world. Um, and salt provides a little bit of flavor. Salt in the ancient world was a preservative, but it seems to be the flavor idea that Jesus has in mind. And notice what he says, you are, not you should be, or with a little bit of help you will be. He just says, you are. That's who Jesus is setting aside his kingdom, his followers, his people to be. They are the salt of this world. And they have, by virtue of their way of life, a distinctive position, a distinctive nature in this world. And so he says, you're the salt of the world. And if the salt, he says, becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. And I kind of wonder, well, what does Jesus have in mind by the salt becoming tasteless, by, in some translations, it, it losing its saltiness? The reality is, is salt technically can't lose its saltiness, at least uh, the the true nature of salt. But I, I, I just think we don't need to worry about that. In, in every analogy, you make a point, and sometimes you draw an implication that, all right, technically that may be, not be the case, but, but there's a point to be made. And what Jesus' point seems to be is, well, salt has a very distinctive flavor, right? That's why it, it used to be when we were kids, you know, it was always fun to try to trick people and switch out the salt for the sugar. And then all of a sudden, someone puts salt on their cereal and they taste it and it's gross and it's nasty. And we all laugh at them. And we thought it was funny when we were elementary school kids because Salt has a very distinctive flavor, and, and that distinctiveness is what sets it apart. And so I, I think what Jesus is saying is, if the salt has become tasteless, means if we lose our distinctiveness, if we lose the thing that sets us apart as followers of Jesus, if somehow we, we fail to be distinctive in this world, then he says we're, we're good for nothing anymore. Uh, as his followers, we... We really are only good for anything if our way of life is distinctive, if we embody Jesus' way of life in such a way that we stand out like salt. We have that very distinctive flavor. And so Jesus seems to be referring to our distinctiveness, and if we lose that, we're just good for nothing anymore. That's what he says. And then he goes on to the second bit of imagery in verse 14. He says, you're the light of the world. And again, notice, not you should be, you are. Statement of fact. Not even a command. Not even a, you know, an imperative. Just 
uh, an indicative. You are. Statement of fact. That's who you are. You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, that is our identity. Now, put this in a little bit of uh, historical context or cultural context for Jesus. Jesus is speaking uh, at this point in time when he's originally saying these words to a, a group of, of Jews. And there's a long history among uh, the Jews in the Old Testament of God setting them apart to be the light of the world. And so the Jewish nation under the Old Covenant was intended to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world. And you'll see that sometimes in Isaiah, you'll see it in other places in the Old Testament. There's this long history that Israel was called to stand out among the nations in a role as light, showing them God's way, showing them his approach to life. The problem was Israel failed to do that. Instead of standing out from the nations as light, Israel kind of compromised with the nations, if you read your Old Testament and the Old Testament story, and their light was quenched, their light was put out, and and they failed to be the light of the world, a light to the nations. Well, Jesus uh, comes as not only Messiah and Savior and God in the flesh, he comes as like the true Israelite. That's one of the themes of Matthew's gospel in which we find these words. And Jesus begins to say, everything Israel was supposed to be, I am and I will be. And so where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. And so Israel failed to be a light to the nations, which was their calling under the old covenant, the Old Testament, but Jesus is the true light of the world. And so that role is fulfilled by Jesus who comes as himself, the light to the nations, the light of the world. And now what he's doing is he's gathering together his people and he's forming his people to himself. And he's saying, like me and in me, you too are now the light of the world. And so what God's people were supposed to be under the old covenant, uh, according to the law, in me you are. That's who you are. You are the light of the world. And that vocation, that calling to be a light to the nations. Well, now, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that's our calling. That's our high and holy calling. We're to be the salt of the earth and have a distinctive presence in this world. We're to be the light of the world. That's who Jesus intends his people to be. You are the light of the world. And then Jesus says this. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, Where I live in Boise, Idaho, we have... Uh, kind of to the north of the city, we have uh, a series of mountains or foothills that rise to a height of a little over 7,000 feet. And up on kind of some of the lower lying foothills in the last uh, couple decades, they've started building all sorts of neighborhoods, subdivisions up on these foothills. And so at nighttime, you look up to the foothills and you can see little collections of subdivisions, houses, all lit up on the foothills. And that's the picture that I have in mind when I hear Jesus' words. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. When it's all lit up at night and you look up on the hill, you, you can't miss it. There it is, this collection of homes in our 
context set up on a hill all lit up and that's the point Jesus is making in his world say Jerusalem is up on a hill and when it's lit up at night you can see all those lights from a distance that's the point um you are the light of the world, and you're to be like a city on a hill that's all lit up, that stands out in this world as a light. Um, then Jesus follows that up by saying, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, under a peck measure in this translation, under a, a basket, but they set it on a lampstand. And it gives light to everybody who are in the house. And so their little lamps were just small little reservoirs filled with olive oil with a wick in them that you would light up. Sort of like in maybe our context, we're more familiar with a kerosene lamp. It was the same concept. They had a small little clay reservoir that you would put olive oil into, put a wick in, and that was their little tiny light. And you wouldn't take that little tiny uh, flame of light and put it under a basket. Um, besides the risk of catching that basket on fire, there's a high likelihood you would just extinguish the fire. It can't get any oxygen. The light goes out. It's done, right? And certainly, even if it doesn't go out when it's under the basket, no light is extended to anyone in the house. Um, it doesn't do its job. It, it You're violating the whole purpose of a lamp. Instead, you take that little tiny lamp and you put it on a little shelf, a little nook up high on the wall, and now its light can be uh, set so everybody in the house can benefit from the light. And Jesus' point with both um, these illustrations is uh, light is both visible and powerful and stands out against the darkness, and light has an, a very distinct purpose, and you don't you don't hide the light you don't cover up the light you have light so that people can see by it um and therefore you are the light of the world and you're to stand out you are uh your light is to be noticeable and to be made visible to the watching world one other observation from uh, Jesus' words about the light is, notice what he says, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Um, there's a certain sense in which individually, as a follower of Jesus, I am light. And you as a follower of Jesus, you are light. But notice Jesus says a city set on a hill. Because little individual lights can give some light in a dark place. I've been in caves where just a small little light or just even touching your phone screen and letting it light up can brighten the entire cave. And that's awesome. And that's the power of light. But when you gather all those little lights together and you combine the power of those little lights, now it's even far more bright. Uh, and there's a lot more light to be had. That's, I think, the imagery of a city. There's not just an individual element to us being light in this world. There's also a corporate element. God's people together are to be light, um, that we, we together exist to show light to this world in the way we love each other, in the way we serve each other, 
in the way we take care of each other, in the way we bear each other's burdens. We are light in the way we forgive each other and give grace to each other. We stand out showing there's a different way to do life together. There's a different way to be human. There's a a richer way, a more, more vibrant way, a way that works better, and it's light to this world. And so we're a city set on a hill. There's this corporate element to being light. And so individually we're lights, but also together we combine all our lights and the way we treat each other and interact with each other and do life together and serve together, the way we care even for this world together, we stand out as distinct as light. And so that's where Jesus ends this teaching on the light of the world. Notice verse 16, he says, so let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up. Don't keep it to yourself. Put it up on a hill. Get it out from underneath the basket and put it up high on the light stand so that it can shine and everyone can benefit from it. Let your light shine before people, before the watching world, the people on your job, the people in your neighborhood, the people at your school. Uh, You let your light shine in such a way that they may see, notice, your good works. That, that that is what sets us apart. That is the point Jesus is making. What is our distinctiveness? Uh, what is uh, the power of our light? It's our good works. It's the way we live. It's, it's the way we interact with each other. It's the way we treat each other. It's the way we interact with our neighbors and our co-workers. We let our light shine before people in such a way that they see our good works and glorify uh, our Father who is in heaven. They, they all of a sudden realize, wow, if that's what God is like, if that's what Jesus is like, then, then maybe I should consider following him. That we, we put Jesus' name up in lights. We put God the Father's name up in lights because we're reflecting his wisdom, his character, his greatness, his beauty back into this world. That's what it means to be the light of the world. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, uh, says this about Christian behavior. He says, uh, the, the essence of Christian behavior is not good works in the sense of keeping the rules and being a good person for its own sake. It's about good works in the sense of doing things which bring God's wisdom and glory to birth in the world. We exist to reflect Jesus and God's wisdom and glory back into the world. In fact, uh, Jesus is the true light of the world. John eight twelve. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And what he's doing is he's gathering us to himself so that now we along with him, are the light of the world. It's not that we have any light necessarily within ourselves. Um, We're more like the moon and Jesus is the sun. Just as the moon does not have any light within itself, but only reflects the light of the sun, well, gathered into Jesus' kingdom as his followers, we now reflect the light of the one true light of the world, Jesus Jesus himself, back into the world. And so... um, Our job is to gaze upon Jesus, to look at Jesus, to see Jesus and reflect his beauty and his wisdom and his goodness and his 
justice into this world. That's what it means to be the light of the world. And so there's a sense in which we're like a mirror, angled just right, angled so that we're, we're uh, pointed upwards at the glory of Jesus. And as his light then hits our mirror, it reflects uh, straight out into this world so that the whole world can see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. That's our job. That's how we're the light of the world. And so my encouragement to you, really my challenge to all of us who are followers of Jesus would be that you you live as a mirror angled appropriately at Jesus so that his light can shine on you and you can reflect that light back into the world and the world can see the, the beauty and the glory and the wisdom and the goodness of Jesus. And as we all do that together, we're a city set on a, a hill and we stand out and God is glorified in this world. So this week, go and be light to the world. All right. Thanks for joining me today on the Bible and Life podcast. And as always, if you're finding this uh, teaching helpful to you, maybe share it with a friend who you think might also benefit from it and enjoy it as well. God bless you guys. And we'll see you next week on Bible and Life.